Friday. Back at it here on the fam. Yeah, Balloon Fest is wild. Uh, Quintino, Twitter reactions brought to you by Shopman Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. Quintino saying film is a visual medium. Uh, medium. That's why my uh, my idea for an all radio station or a radio station that only talked about movies would never work. I disagree 100%. I, I don't know why they don't have, like, 24-hour radio stations for just about everything. You could do a 24-hour radio station for people that like reality TV, and you could just end up doing the rank. Are you kidding me? You could hire people that, like, think like I do, where they just do sports talk radio, and they do, like, they're all about rankings, they're all about debates, they're all about those type of things, and you could do it all day. I could, I, I'm not even a movie guy, and I could do seven hours on Oppenheimer versus Barbie. I, have, I, I haven't seen the movies and I could do a solid show on it and then carry it in. you telling me movie people couldn't come up and do at least two weeks' worth of content on Oppenheimer versus Barbie and then, like, carry that into a Scorsese versus uh, Christopher Nolan debate or something like that? I'm telling you, there's way – embrace debate, okay? That world out there, it's got, it's got all sorts of room, all sorts of room to grow. Uh, but you know what? I'm happy right now. Just stay with Sports Radio. You're in a good spot. Let's go out to the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. His name is James Rapine, and he joins us here on 92.3 The Fan. Hello, James. How are you today? I'm doing well. I haven't seen Oppenheimer or Barbie, but uh, I have a friend watching Oppenheimer as we speak. Uh, I'll report back. Please do. Early reviews. Uh, we had uh, Drew is our new movie critic on the show. He's seen both of them, and uh, he says Barbie was much better than Oppenheimer. He gave Oppenheimer a 6.5. He said Barbie was a, a, a solid 9. said it was really, really good. Uh, sign me up. I, uh, hopefully. Hopefully that's the case. I'm a, I'm a fan. It looks good. So uh, I would be bummed if Oppenheimer was only a 6.5, though. You know, so. I kind of would, too. I mean, how do you blow atomic warfare? And, uh, I mean, like, the Manhattan Project? You're going to make that bad? Like, that, that, right. that that's interesting. I could, just talking about it is interesting. Nonetheless, a movie. Yeah, I know. I agree. So uh, hopefully hopefully that 6.5 was just because Barbie was so great that it uh, it took away a little bit of, of what Oppenheimer will be long-term. Well, he said there was a really awkward, long sex scene in there. Like, it was like a really, like, it, it dragged on for way longer than it should have been. And he also said that there was way too many uh, scenes in courtrooms that just were just, you can't drag on. The movie's three hours long. It's like The Irishman. The Irishman went for, like, it went for seven days. It's like, let's speed this thing up. I don't think anybody, well, let's have, let me ask you this, James. Should we start giving breaks for movies, should there be an intermission at the movie theater? Man, it, uh, with some of them, sure. I, I agree. Yeah, I think. Look, the new Avatar too long. I think they could have clipped it and mm -hmm. been fine. Uh, I certainly think that the Irishman was probably two hours too long. Which you go back to, do they need to make this movie? But uh, I watched it, so you know they got me. Um, these long movies, especially like. Yeah, like the Avengers movie. Like, that's a movie that moved, right? Avengers, Infinity War, and then obviously Endgame. But they were really, really long. So if there was an intermission, that wouldn't have been a bad thing. Because instead of enjoying your soda, you're like, nah, I'm yeah. good. We need we need the movie version <laughs> of the seventh inning stretch. It's something to, you know, kind of stand up, you know, shake your body a little bit, check your phone, 
Maybe make sure that your, you know, your kids and your family are, you know, doing well. Everything's fine. And then, uh, you get back for the second half and enjoy whatever you need to be enjoying. I, I get anxiety if I, like, the only time I, I'm away from my phone for that long is on the golf course. And the golf course, I just put in the bag and then I don't check it for four hours. But I, I basically let everyone wow. know beforehand. Everyone in my life that is going to care if I'm gone for a four hour stretch, they know I'm on the course anyway. So we're okay. So you were on the golf course then the other day when DeAndre Hopkins signed with the Titans, huh? That, that, that was it. Because you, you, you let the Browns know, don't make this move, and then he just went to the Titans. I got gotcha. you. Do you want to hear my theory on it? I'll tell you my theory right quick. I think you'll yeah. like this. I think, I think you can appreciate this theory. All right, so here it is. So Deshaun Watson, when he got the 22 civil cases on him, right, was down on his luck and nobody was in his corner except for one guy in the NFL, James, and that was DeAndre Hopkins. He had 22 civil cases against him, and Hopkins was the only person that was on Instagram posting photos of the two of them together and saying he was still going to be great and saying he was still going to be awesome and you just keep the status quo and everything was going to be all right. He had his, as Bradley Cooper would say, he had his six, all right? And so I think what happened here, I don't think Deshaun Watson's comments publicly matched what he believed privately because DeAndre knows that he's cooked like a rotisserie chicken. That's why he took PEDs at 30 years old, right? He knows he's not good anymore. And so he told, he told Deshaun, listen, publicly you gotta, you gotta talk me up because we're buddies. We're friends. We talk all the time. They, I know for a fact they still text and everything. So you gotta, you gotta talk me up publicly. And then privately you can tell Andrew Barry and everyone, don't come get me. I'm gonna go to another team. I'm gonna get the bag and I'm just gonna just waste out the rest of my career and I'm not gonna impact then you being great. I love this theory. You're right. You read me like a book. Um, <laughs> look, he, even if he isn't cooked, he is cooked because Ryan Tannehill is the one throwing him passes, and that's just not, not the place to end up. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's an interesting theory. Either way, good for him for getting that money. And I still think that the team that really got it wrong, I know I just kind of took a slight shot at the Browns. It's the Patriots. I think they needed another weapon, and that oh. was the guy to get, and they did not even – uh, well, they didn't even match so, the money that the Titans were willing to offer. The so, Patriots, the Patriots add another little layer to my theory, in that. Well, okay, so <laughs> Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins famously hated each other in Houston. So, like, what yeah. wouldn't have been better than saying, "I'm not only going to go to a team that's going to pay me the bag that I know I'm screwing over in the process, but I'm in turn going to go screw over the guy I hated for years on end in Bill O'Brien." Like, it's just there's so much that could have worked there if you ended up in New England. Yeah. No, I, I thought that was I thought that was the place. I thought they were going to get Hopkins and then make a real push for Dalvin Cook and and try to to scare some people, I guess, with those big name weapons. And they didn't get one of the two, and they worked out Leonard Fournette yesterday. So we'll see. Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon. I actually kind of like. Job. I. Where's naming? Where's naming running backs? Naming, numbing, yeah, <laughs> 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 we could have done it all day. Um, yeah. I, so, I, hey, you, you playing that game tells me you don't want to talk about Joe Mixon. Why don't you want no, to talk I, about Joe Mixon? Because I, well, I've, I've spent more time this offseason talking about Joe Mixon than you have Deshaun Watson. Doubt it. So. Doubt it. Yeah, probably doubt it. I'm five I, hours I a night, man. Like, I doubt it. Yeah. But regardless, Joe Mixon's come up a lot, but I'm fine talking about him. What you got? No, I like the deal. I, I, as long as Zach Taylor doesn't do what he did in the first two weeks of the season last year, where he just forgot that he had the best quarterback and the best uh, wide receiver combo in the game, 
and decided to run Joe Mixon 27 times each. I, as long as he doesn't do that, I think it'll be fine. But is this the new, is there a deal that Joe Mixon could make that would pave the way for almost someone like Nick Chubb? And obviously we know Joe Mixon is not Nick Chubb, but taking a contract like that, and I don't know, would you consider it team-friendly or not? I'm not entirely sure. But to stay with the team that he has been with the entire time, to see it through when the good times are, well, he's right in the middle of it right now. Oh, I see. You're saying he might set the precedent for Nick Chubb to take a little team-friendly discount. Team-friendly. There's a lot of incentives here's, attached here's, to that. Here's the difference. Is one, what did Nick Chubb run for last year? Well, that's, was that's the problem here is that Joe, well, his yards per carry was, it was 5.2 uh, 5. last year. 5.2. Okay. Well, Joe Mixon was like four or something, right? 3.9, yeah. man. He yeah. was a 3.9er. And uh, a lot of his catches, he had 60 catches, but they were check downs. So a lot of players could have done that. And, you know, there were people in the moment thinking that Samaje Pirine was as good or as effective as Joe Mixon at times last year. That said, the Bengals did want to keep him. They just didn't want to pay him $10 plus million in cash this year, have a $12.8 million cap hit. And so... This makes sense. It, it does because it keeps them here this year when you're in full win now. Let's make a, a Super Bowl run. And the other guys that are out there, Dalvin Cook wants too much money. I've been told that. And not, not just me, but obviously it's been reported everywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they could have gotten Dalvin for the money they paid Mixon. And the other guys on the market aren't as good as Joe Mixon still. So you would have gotten worse. So I think this is the, the best of both worlds for the Bengals and Joe Mixon. He gets more than he would have gotten on the open market days and an offense he's familiar with obviously he's still going to be the starter at the same time for the Bengals you save money over four million dollars in cap space which you can use in a bunch of different ways if needed for extensions or uh, other reasons or just roll it over if you need to plus Joe Mixon's still on notice if he doesn't perform well this year well they'll move on from him before the it's not the start of the new league year I think he's due uh, a substantial roster bonus on like the fourth day of the new league year so Mixon's still got to prove it. So I, I think it was a really good deal by the Bengals, and I also think Joe Smart for taking it because he might have been out there and missed all of training camp had he gotten released, and that was the other option. Take this discount and pay cut, rather, or uh, or get released. Was that the biggest offseason controversy for the Bengals? Probably the, the Jonah Williams trade request in, in, in Joe Mixon. I think they kind of tied together hmm. because there were parts of the fan base that said, well, you have Joe Will- Jonah Williams. Just try to trade him, and then you don't have to move. All right, back out of here on the fan. Let's go and talk to our buddy James Rapine. James, sorry about that. Uh, it's all right. I Where do I leave off? You were talking about Jonah Williams. Yeah, I, I it, you know, fully guaranteed contract. That, that's that's why part of why Jonah's still around. And the other part is it's hard to find offensive linemen. It's not like there's a bunch of Jonah Williams level offensive linemen available right now and you look at Joe Mixon and yeah there, there might not be many at his level Alvin Cook would be the one in free agency but there were other guys out there that could have done most of what the Bengals need a running back to do so I think they just had more leverage with with Joe is the AFC North the toughest division in football yes I, I don't even know if it's I, the AFC East could make an argument but I, I just took a couple shots at the Patriots for a reason and they have a question mark, obviously, not just the quarterback, questions about just the offensive talent uh, around Mac Jones. And so, yeah, I mean, the one weak link quarterback-wise, I would say, is Kenny Pickett. But at least I got weapons. 
around him and upgraded that offensive line. And so we'll see. There's a question mark about Deshaun Watson, but I'm not going to call him a weak link yet. I know what he did for, for multiple years in Houston and uh, as recent as 2020. So, no, I, I think the AFC North top to bottom is as good of a division as there is in football. And I wouldn't be shocked if every team has eight or more wins. Like, I think it's going to be really competitive. Yeah, we had Aaron Schatz on yesterday, and he does uh, a lot of simulations. He does 50,000 simulations of the season using his own projections and everything else. And he had every team in the AFC North winning nine-plus games. He also, James, he also had the Bengals neck-and-neck with the Browns, which I'm sure you disagree with. But I haven't heard anyone publicly go down that road, and I think people are scared to do that for a couple reasons. One, because of Deshaun Watson. But I think the bigger thing is that you look at the Bengals' success over the previous couple years, it's very hard to just kind of knock them off their perch without actually seeing Deshaun Watson play. Well, that's the part of it that I come back to. I mean, is Deshaun Watson going to be Joe Burrow? Like, that's that's a lot to ask. And and so if he's close, then, yeah, can the the – the Browns be close to that? Absolutely. I think revamp defense, where you bolster that defensive line, you already had an elite player in Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward. I really like their corners in general, but obviously Denzel Ward leads the way there. So, yeah, I think that the defense should take a step forward. And I like the trade with the Jets. You bring in another another receiver. It, I think they're fine. You know, roster-wise, they're comparable to the Bengals if – Deshaun Watson is a star, and that's the part of it. You know, I, I would still give the edge to the Bengals' skill players, even though Nick Chubb certainly has the edge at running back, and they have an edge at, at tight end as well. But if Watson can be close to Burrow and be the second-best quarterback in this division, even second, he doesn't have to be better, then the Browns are going to be in the mix, no doubt about it. And they could be better than the Ravens and certainly better than the Steelers. So there's a path for that to happen, no doubt. Uh, some, you got to tell the Bengals next time you talk to them, they kind of messed up this whole Ring of Honor thing. Like I, I, I advocated for Corey Dillon a couple weeks back because I felt like Corey Dillon deserves to be in the Ring of Honor. He had so many thousand sure. yards, like so many thousand yard seasons. But I, I sat, I, I defended the Bengals, and here's why: I said you don't do it when the team is playing good football. You wait until they're back to sucking, and then it's like a highlighted moment. Like the Browns waited until one and thirty-one to put up the Jim Brown statue. Right? It gives the fans something to be excited about. But now they put in Ocho Cinco and Boomer when the team has never been better. It feels like missed opportunities by the Bengals. They should have done it when they built the stadium in 2000. That's For when they sure. should have done it. Because then Boomer would have been brought back and Ken Anderson would have been brought back. And then they would have been good with Chad and, and all these other guys that are still waiting to get in that played in the 60s or in the 70s and 80s they would have already been in. And so now there's this backlog. That's the thing that a lot of people are struggling with. And they're like, oh, Chad, he's so young. And it's like, so he deserves to be in right now. Right, like, yeah. I, I, Chad should have been in last year, like the first year that you could it's actually. It's kind of wild the two of them aren't in already. Yeah, you're, it's crazy. Yeah, and, and so it's it, it's this weird thing now where there's a pecking order, but it's based on season ticket holder voting. And, and so there's just guys that, that deserve to be in. Corey Dillon, one of them that are going to get in, it's just, it might take a little longer than he had hoped, but it's because the Bengals didn't, un, you know, roll out the ring of honor until three years ago. And, and that's the big reason why. Well, James, I ran out of time. I was going to give you this whole big, long thing about how Ellie De La Cruz and Shelly Otani should be teammates, but I guess that we're going to have to wait they for should. that one. I mean, it's so it's right there, James. It's right they there. Should. I thought it, I just have no platform to talk about the Reds, but yes, 
Oh, my God, yes. Trade, make the trade, and they have the prospects, too. I mean, you'd squeeze out Joey Votto's DH time a little bit, and that's fine. You know, and if Steer isn't in the trade, is what I'm talking about there. And David Bell would have to manage a log jam at first base if, if that's the case. But those are the good problems to have, Marlo Stanfield. Like, that's, those are the, that's the good stuff. Could you imagine having the, the two most exciting baseball players in the sport on the same team together? Oh, that's, it would excite the fan base like they hadn't been excited since 2000 when they got Griffey. That would be, it would be the same. And it didn't work out for a bunch of reasons. Such a layup for that ownership. You could sell me. You, you could sell me on it. Hey, maybe they should all this money they've been saving. They have such a low payroll, and they do. And I haven't forgot that, even though the Castellinis think I have. Um, <laughs> how about this? You take all that money you've been saving, and you go after him. You you swim in those big waters this off season. They won't. But no, they won't. Know. They won't. But three months was a real possibility. It still is a real possibility. I'm not. I'm not taking my sights off of that one. But I'm also holding on to it for the Guardians as well. Uh, James, tell people where to find all your NFL and your Bengals stuff. Allbengals.com, Cincinnati Bengals talk on YouTube, and the Locked On Bengals podcast. Beautiful. Stay killing it on TikTok, and I appreciate you as always. Thank you, friend. The TikToks are coming, my friend, with uh, training camp right around the corner. Thanks, JP. Love it. Talk to you later. Great stuff from James Rapine on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Let's get to a Jake Sports Update. All right, we'll get to a Shane Bieber conversation coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Just a little bit. Uh, but I want to stay with the idea of whether or not the Browns really are in the toughest division in sports right now. And... I don't know that you can make a case for anybody else. Like, I started going down the road in, in my brain before... I know some people want to bring the NFC East into the equation. You have the Eagles, who obviously were in the Super Bowl last year. You have the Cowboys, the Giants. Commanders just got sold today, so people are celebrating there. But that's Washington is just a bleak situation. I remember doing a hit in a Washington radio station a couple months ago, and they wanted to talk about uh, all of the conversations centered around whether or not Jacoby Brissett could be something for them this year. And I said, oh, boy. You guys are in a bad. I listen. I like Jacoby. Jacoby's going to be. I, I don't know if he's going to be remembered as fondly as he was in the moment last year because I think people thought of him as a consummate professional, and he basically put his head down and did the work and didn't say anything bad about anything. Like he was, he was a true pros pro. I will always respect Jacoby for that. And I got nothing bad to ever say about Jacoby, but I can never erase that image in my head of being down in Berea at one of the training camps. It was a. I was doing a show. And I, I don't know that we're going to have as many shows this year from Berea. I know we're having a few, but them going to the Greenbrier and then them not having as many open practices, I do feel like it's going to scale back a little bit about what we do. But I remember being in Berea. It was a Sunday show, and it was it was the day that Kareem Hunt ended his hold-in. That was an interesting time in and of itself. But I remember watching the two of them. There's a couple takeaways I had from that day. One was the fact that Deshaun Watson signed for at least a half hour after the practice and signed for basically every little kid he saw, and only for little kids. It's not like he was signing for adults or anything, but I promise you every kid that wanted a Deshaun Watson autograph that day got a Deshaun Watson autograph. I was, it's what he had to do at the time. Any good, any PR was going to be good PR for him at that point. Anything of him doing anything positive, but I, I'm telling you, that man, only kids. I respect that as well because autograph adult autograph seekers are so weird to me. They're just the weirdest thing that we have in society right now. In a society filled with a bunch of weird things, adult autograph seekers got to be at the top of the list. Watch this video earlier today. It was Patrick Mahomes at that celebrity championship golf tournament they had last week. And Mahomes is asked 
before he's about to hit a golf ball, whether or not he could sign for the like this kid. And and I know during that tournament they're told don't sign anything during the tournament. That you can have the nicest person in the world who's going to tell him no. And Mahomes is like, no, sorry, man, I can't. And more Mahomes voice. Uh, Mahomes, uh, Mahomes voice. I'm dumping my Patrick Mahomes impression, so you guys can never hear that because that was just gross, absolutely gross. Man, you know what it is? You got to say the right words. Jake, you got a Patrick Mahomes impression? It's not that hard. You got to sound like Kermit the Frog, but you got to you got to sound like he sounds. I wish I could do a good one. I've tried it before; it just doesn't work. It's it's on on the hierarchy of easier impressions. I feel like it's on the list. It's like everyone could do a Gruden for a while. That's what Mahomes is. Jack, you got a Mahomes? I do. I do. I knew you would. I knew you would. <laughs> yes, you do. All right, give me the give me your uh, Mahomes. Warden! Warden! Ooh. <laughs> I guess I was starstruck. I'm starstruck. It's tough. Bright whites go on. Red white goes on, and it, it becomes a little bit tougher. Everyone can nail the Patrick Mahomes when they're on their car ride going home after they just watched the quarterback series and watched eight episodes, but a lot tougher. A lot tougher to nail when the uh, the bright lights are on. You Jared Allen did. Bright lights were on, and you you just you completely just melted. That's okay. You'll work on it. We'll try it again later. Okay. So anyway, Mahomes is at this this golf tournament, and there and the guy's like, you know, the kids, the dad is asking for the son, and it's like, hey, can you sign this autograph for my son? And and Patrick's like, no, I can't do it. If I if I sign for you, I got to sign for everybody. And the dad like kept hounding him. And the, the dad was like, well, if he, if he signs for you, or he said he's something, he's something to the effect of like, it's just one autograph that won't kill you. And Mahomes is like, no, but it'll make 79 other kids really upset. And I can't sit there and sign all day. And then Mahomes walked up, hit a shot, and then left. And it's just a reminder, adult autograph seekers are just the worst. So anyway, sorry, got distracted. Two takeaways from camp last year. Watson signed a million autographs and for kids and only kids, which I loved. Number two, Jacoby Brissett was next to Deshaun Watson, looked like a high school quarterback. The velocity on the throws, what the throws were, this is not disrespectful, it's just what I saw. He looked like they were playing a different sport at times. I mean, it was just, it, it was night and day. And I and, and then when you watch Jacoby Brissett during the season and you saw him by himself, it didn't look as bad. Not ice, you know, isolated out. It was much better than when you had the side by side comparison. There's no doubt about that. But the side by side, the two of them throwing right next to each other, it was completely different. So Washington, I don't think is going to be particularly good. I think they can be fine, but I don't think they're going to be good. AFC East, I think the Patriots are going to absolutely stink. So I got to take them off the board as well. I think the Bills are going to be really good. I think the Dolphins are going to be way better than people are thinking right now. Jets are a toss-up, but I've also seen in the same vein, I've also seen the Jets being projected out by ESPN panelists to win that division more so than any other team. You made me choose one team out of the AFC East. You want a little bit of a, a spicy take on a Thursday? I'm taking the Miami Dolphins. Problem with the Dolphins right now, is that you don't know if Tua at any point will get hit the wrong way and be out for five weeks. Uh, being a Dolphins fan would be more anxiety than the show The Bear gives me on a on an episode-to-episode basis, okay? 
Like it's just nonstop. Like oh my gosh, stop stressing me out. The Dolphins waiting on every single hit from Tua to see if it's a concussion would drive me absolutely bananas. So I think the AFC North truly is the top top. Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, Browns. I the funny thing about it, there's a chance the Browns could finish third or fourth in the division. And us not look at the year as a crazy failure the way some would think it would be. Ravens and Bengals are so talented. You guys are going to get tired of me talking about just how good I think those teams are while also understanding the quiet part out loud. What a lot of people in the NFL are thinking but won't say, they're wondering what's going to happen to the Bengals this year and whether or not they're going to hit more roadblocks than they did the previous two years. I could easily see with how tough this AFC is and has stayed and has since evolved into being. I just I don't know how any team truly looks dominant, with the exception of potentially the Kansas City Chiefs, because they always find a way to win 13 or 14 games and end up looking dominant. I just I don't see how it's going to work because so many teams in the AFC are just going to cannibalize themselves. Was the idea that the other three in the division are all being played in the first four weeks. And I know some people have argued that it's good to take on the Bengals in week one. I, I believe that to be true. You're catching them off guard. I also like that the Bengals are being taken on in week 18. Week 18 could mean everything, but for the Bengals or the Browns, it could also just be a, all right, the game is the game. Bengals could have the one seed locked up at that point and not play anybody. We could have the one seed at that point and not play anybody. Who's to say? But week 18, I think, is a good time to play the Bengals. I like that 17 weeks in between, and I like them taking a, taking them on in week one. But when we have the AFC North, we play every team in the first four weeks. And what I believe to be is the toughest division in football, that's not easy. Kevin Zavansky and company, where it became, it became so important that they start this season off right, really got screwed over in that aspect. Now, they have one of the better schedules away from their division that you can have in all of the NFL. And I think that part doesn't get talked about enough. Away from the, the rest of the NF, the AFC North, the Browns division, or the Browns schedule, excuse me, is one of the easiest you'll find in the NFL. That's a really nice thing. But there is a chance they finish third or fourth in the division and us not look at the year as a crazy failure. And I, I think that's fascinating. You could win nine or ten games. There's a chance you win ten games and end up third in the AFC North. That's how good this division is going to be. So we talk about how good the AFC conference is all the time, but we don't often talk enough talk enough about how good the Bengals, Ravens, and potentially the Steelers are going to be, where it just makes everything so much harder. And let's say you split in the division and you move forward. That's fine. Splitting in the division is a win when I believe you're going to go well above 500 against the other parts of your schedule. Because it just sets up really nicely for this Browns team. All right, leave that there. We come on back. Let's talk about Shane Bieber. The latest around Shane Bieber, Zach Mizo of The Athletic reported earlier today, the Guardians are not going to trade him, which is something I've been telling you guys now a week ago when we first found out about that injury. I said there's no chance they trade him. They can't. They don't have the offers. But I listened all day long. I paid attention to you guys on uh, the old Twitter machine all day long. Why aren't you guys hammering him? Why aren't you guys hammering the Guardians for clearly fumbling this whole entire situation? 
Instead, we're acting like it's all all right. 216-474-0092. Fan focus coming your way at 9. But first, it's just about time for the Browns to get to work, so make sure you know the latest from the voices you trust. Daryl Ryder and Andy Baskin have you covered with their podcast. It's always game day in Cleveland on the Odyssey app or at 923thefan.com. All right, back out of here on the fan. Just a reminder, everyone that's out on the roadways, I know it seems like it's stopped raining for the moment. We're still getting alerts out there. Just be safe. Please be safe. The, I'm seeing this. Uh, it's a Twitter account on, on, obviously, Twitter. That's why it's a Twitter account. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. And it's uh, at I'm from CLE, and they put out a video, and the video is just, it's I-90. And, again, Keith was our, you know, Keith was sitting there texting us that it's one of the worst drives he's ever had in. And I'm looking at this video, and this video is insane. It's The, the, the caption is, I-90 is a lake. And I'm telling you, that it looks like cars are legitimately driving through a lake. Please be careful. And if you're in that type of situation, there's a couple things you need to do. Uh, one of them is try to avoid driving into the large bodies of water. And uh, if you are in that situation and your car ends up, let me tell you a story really quick. So I lived in Houston. I lived in Houston for three years. And Houston is very famous for having a lot of really big rainfalls and situations where the entire city just ends up getting flooded. And the time I was in Houston, there were two that were extremely memorable. The very first one that hit, I mean, it's national news. It was a very big deal. It was, uh, it was, I mean, just, it's crazy, right? And so I was going home from work and I was so determined to get home from work. Should I have stayed at work and maybe just not even gotten in the car yeah, looking back on it, it's easy to say that. You know what I mean? But I, I'm human. And us as humans, we're like, well, wait, but my couch with my Netflix and my food is much better than, you know, staying at work for an extra nine hours to then come back to work. Like, it, that's not enjoyable for anybody, right? And so I said, I'll be fine. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to drive and I'm going to make it. So I got in my car and I was so close. I was two blocks away from my apartment, and I'd done a really good job of staying away from like the really heavily trafficked areas, and I was two blocks away from my apartment, and I went down the street that I needed to go to in order to get to my apartment, and it, it, again, it was very misleading. You couldn't really tell that the water was going to go that high up, but you start going down the street, and you just don't know. You don't know how high it's going to go. So you start going down the street, and I was going down the street, and then it, it filled up, and it filled up, and then it just it got all. I mean, that eventually, at one point, I'm telling you, I was, and I was so pot committed that once you're the halfway in, you're not just going to stop. But I, I couldn't look over to my left or my right and see anything but my windows just filled up with water. That's how high it was, and my car shuts off, shuts off completely. Now, I'm a bird brain at that point. I'm an idiot. I'm 25 years old. I have no idea what life even is. I'm 34. I still have no idea what life even is. But at 25, you're really, you're really out there. You don't know as much, especially in an area of the country I'd never been in before outside of, you know, the time I'd been living there. It's not like I visited the, the, the South often, and it's not like I'd been through that type of rainfall before. So anyway, what I did is what I thought made sense to me. I grabbed my bag that had all my work stuff in it. I opened the door, watched water flood into it, but I opened the door and I stepped out and then I walked away and I just let the car sit there because the car was, 
I mean, the engine stopped. All the all the everything stopped working with it. What else was I going to do? And I walked my happy ass over to my apartment, and that was that. I said, I'll come back and get the car in the morning, and hopefully it's working. And if it's not working, I'll figure it out from there. I since later learned, and this is my advice to all of you guys out there, that was a really dumb decision. So, like, all things that can happen, like power lines could have been down, and then I could have stepped out and gotten electrocuted. I could have, like, all sorts of things could have happened that are extremely dangerous in that situation. So please, please be careful out there is the point. Don't don't be a bird brain, okay? We put ourselves in dumb situations often. I know that for a fact. Don't do that with this. I just, I care about you guys. I don't want to, to have that happen to you. But it's just, it's such a, it's such a dangerous thing. So if you're on I- I-90, I'm looking at this video. If you're on I-90, please just, just wait it out. Find a different way to go. Don't go down the same road and don't think it's cool to go down a lake. It's not cool. Your car is going to shut off and then you're going to have to go and get a rental car and all the different trouble you go through. It's incredibly annoying. Incredibly annoying. So be safe. All right. Listen to 92.3 The Fan Weekdays, the winning time, 7.20 a.m., 10.20 a.m., and 4.20 p.m. for your chance at Tickets to See, 50 Cent with Buster Rhymes, August 6th at Blossom. When you hear the winning word, text it to 20357 by the end of the hour to get registered to win. Text and data rates may apply. Get rules on our website, 923thefan.com. Fan Focus coming your way in about 15 minutes with the Bieber news, though. And in case you're just joining us, Zach Meisel reporting today, the Guardians are not going to trade Shane Bieber. I, it's funny, I kind of think sometimes we talk about stuff like this with the same enthusiasm that we talk about NFL MVP awards, right? NFL MVP awards, we spend months talking about and debating who should win that award. Months, hours of time debating. Well, I think Patrick Mahomes should win again. No, I think... Uh, hey, Tua's been great for the first eight weeks of the season. He should win the MVP if he continues on this track. Like We do it every single year. And then when the MVP award gets announced, we never revisit it. It's just it's announced and it is what it is. At least in the NBA, when they announce an MVP award, like they did with uh, with um, Embiid this past year, like the Jokic fans were heated. All these different NBA fans wanted to argue the legacy of Jokic, whether he should have won three straight like Bird did in 84, 85, 86. Like all these different type of things. But in the NFL, we just kind of accept the news for what it is. We legitimately talked about whether or not Shane Bieber should be traded on this radio station almost every day for a month and a half. I mean, I didn't do it every day because... I told you why. I told you my reasons. I think we start trade conversations in baseball way earlier than we ever used to. It's insane to me. April 22nd, my birthday, that's why I remember it, watching a baseball game on national television, and they started, they asked, was it the Angels manager or was it the Angels GM? Someone within the Angels, I'm forgetting who they asked, but they asked him about Shohei Otani in a deal. The season was 22 days deep. And they were asking about Shohei Otani and whether or not he'd be traded. Like, we just, the way the the playoff system works, we got more teams involved and more teams in than you've ever had before. I think having a month and a half to two months of trade conversation in baseball, even if it's interesting because it involves players we know and care about, like the Guardians instance, I think it's tiresome. Very tiresome to me. Now, I had the conversations when we had to have the conversations, but I didn't do it every day for a reason, mainly because I figured it would all settle itself out anyway. But where I got a little upset today 
is that you guys treated it like it was the NFL MVP conversation, where the news came and then nobody wanted to discuss it. We spent two months discussing it and then no one wanted to discuss it. It's the type of thing that we spend two months talking about and then maybe I should have led the show with. But it's just not how we operate. But I was so amazed at the lack of holding this Guardian's front office accountable for what I believe to be fumbling the Shane Bieber bag. I don't understand how you can so clearly have a bunch of value for someone like Shane Bieber in the offseason, see that his velocity is trending down, see that his spin rate is changing, not do anything about it, and then when the season gets underway, watch his ERA balloon up to near four, four runs to the Royals. That Baltimore game was one of the worst I'd ever seen him pitch. And what did we all do? They, we sat there and, and when we watched as Terry Francona a week and a half ago said, yeah, for three or four starts now, we've seen that uh, something was irritable, something was bothersome to him. And they kept throwing him out there and throwing him out there, and no team in baseball is going to take a chance on him once they know that he's got an injury, especially mixed with his velocity changes and everything else attached to it. I just wondered why the Guardians didn't take any heat. I mean, some of you guys hold your Uber Eats drivers to higher standards than you do your baseball team. It's remarkable. How is this being shopped around as bad luck? This was mismanagement of the highest order, in my opinion. We all saw the signs. The Guardians got greedy, and it's going to cost them. And if you think Shane Bieber is going to magically turn into the old Shane Bieber, I got news for you. I don't think that's going to happen. Guardians missed a clear-cut opportunity, in my estimation, to try to get this baseball team better. And usually the part that makes me upset is I expect this out of bad front offices. I don't expect it out of this Guardians front office. They usually, they see the signs. As they say in Pool Hall Junkies, they see the signs, Joe. They see the signs. Usually they can tell, but anybody that's been watching these games, you guys all have seen Shane Bieber. You guys all knew what was happening. Remarkable to me. Jim Duquette on Afternoon Drive had this to say about Shane Bieber earlier today. Here we go. Personally, I don't think that he should be off limits. You know, I know the injury is going to make it difficult to move him. So I think that factors into it. You know, no one's going to trade for an injured starting pitcher right now, at least a team that's in the mix. But I've been, and I think Shane's been great as a guardian, right? One of their best pitchers that they've had. They've had a lot of good ones. But when you see the drop in velocity over the last four seasons, and the workload that he's had, I think it's difficult to sign him up long-term to the type of contract that he thinks he's worth and could potentially get as a free agent. So I think in the short term, in knowing how the Guardians have done so well in training, you know, it's pretty, pretty clear what they've done, obviously, with Clevenger and Kluber in the past. And Bauer, like that, that list goes on and on. I really expected them to move, to move Bieber. And, you know, I think mostly because of the injury, I think it really becomes difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, they missed their window. That's all it is. They missed the window. They, the Guardians front office missed this one. Two one six four seven four to below 92. Sam in Cleveland. I'm next on the fan. Hello, Sam. Yes, the Cleveland baseball team did get Class A. I mean, we got a guy, people probably don't remember, they got a guy that had get, got busted for steroids. But, I mean, they they traded Kluber too late. I really would have thought they would have learned their lesson with Bieber, especially coming off a year like he did. I, I just, you know, a job that I called earlier, the, the organization's been asleep at the wheel on a lot of things. And you and I'm going to give a prime example about, um, how about Chapman? 
I mean, he signed for three point seven five million with the Royals. The Rangers is in contention. Sam, Sam, the best part about that, and to to your like to add to your point, I looked at it the other day. The numbers for Chapman when he got traded in twenty sixteen versus the numbers that he just got now and going from the Royals to the Rangers, basically identical. Sam, he's been really good. Yeah, and and when we saw it when he was when we were facing him over the weekend. I mean, they didn't have a clue against that guy, and that's the perfect kind of guy. The, the, what the Rangers had to pick up one point eight million dollars, and in the in the baseball team in Cleveland needs ads everywhere, especially the bullpen. I, I'm really confused on their not making one move last year. I mean, they didn't make one move to help that to, to help that team, and nothing different this year. I, I, I don't even. It, it comes across that they don't even really want to win the division. It's it's remarkable, and thank you, Sam. I appreciate you, man. I I, I think they just want to stay and look and seem like they're being competitive. I. I mean, obviously, you take the you take the division. I would never suggest that they don't want to win the division, but it's it's baffling. The Chapman stuff, I can't let go. I can't let go. I looked at it the other day because I was fascinated with the idea. I looked at him. I'm like, wait, is he throwing harder than I've ever seen him throw? Uh, yeah, he is. He's averaging 99.6 miles per hour on his four seam fastball, 88 miles per hour on his slider. That is the fastest he's ever thrown. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's got a higher strikeout rate than he did in 2016 when he had that big, massive deal with the Cubs where they ended up winning the World Series. He added a splitter, even though he's using it not nearly as much as you think. 60% swing and miss rate. He has been absolutely astonishingly awesome. And he was just there for anybody that wanted to pay what is considered in baseball a bag of baseballs. I, I'm uh, Unreal. Absolutely unreal. Everything in his performance record suggests that Chapman is about as valuable today as he was seven years ago, and it felt like a lot of baseball just slept on that. And we have a bullpen right now that has blown three games out of the six since the All-Star break. You telling me we couldn't use a guy like that? Tell me we couldn't use someone like that in our pen? Of course we could have. Of course we could have. But they're just not looking at it that way. It's very perplexing to me. All right. Leave that there. Come on back. We have the fan focus. Got to get to Ohio State, Michigan at 920. We got off the beaten path as well. A ton to get to. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on the fan.